The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, do you want to you just jump in? See, I'm not saying anything because I'm a silent protagonist. <laughs> Fuck you. That's not good <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> I'm podcast Krampus. You're going in my sack. Um. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Backstage Gaming Dramatics Takes on Your Favorite Games. I'm Chris. Dylan, be the person who's speaking. And. <laughs> cool start we're here to talk about games and to talk about theater and to talk about acting and this week got a topic that we're both very excited about we might end up coming into things that we're like oh well nope that's its own episode but in general we're talking about a two-word phrase that dylan texted me in all caps at like 10 o'clock at night and that phrase was silent i peaked the mic (laughs) okay i can bring it down protagonist I didn't peek yeah, that we, time. <laughs> good. Yeah, we're going to be talking about how games manage to be compelling even with characters as the main character who say nothing and who sometimes get very little characterization at all and how they achieve what characterization they do have because that's kind of a very uniquely gamey approach to characters. Like, yeah, I cannot think of any movie where the main character just straight up doesn't talk. John Wick, I think? Maybe? Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. Um. Anyway, few and far between as opposed to games where it's like every other game. <laughs> especially That's not especially true. back in the day. I just, I really love silent protagonists, and I think they are hugely underrated. A lot of people are like, now that technology is better and people are putting more effort into writing games, we should just do away with silent protagonists altogether. Make Link talk. And I'm like, No. That defeats they did the that magic. once. I mean, like, yes, they did that a couple times, but yeah, you know, I'm ignoring those. I yeah. um, so I, I just want to get this out of the way real quick. As an actor, um, I love silent protagonists, like me personally, because they are really cool in that, like, you can kind of take different elements of their portrayals and really kind of create your own character. Um, and we'll go into that more later, but I, I just yeah. wanted to put my foot down and say that silent protagonists are great. They will never die, just like Ska. <laughs> Boy, they really had us at the, in the first half there. <laughs> uh, um, okay, wow, I, that was very unexpected. Um, Dylan, I am on tinterhooks because you texted me, again, in all caps, at 10.30 in the morning as I was beginning my shift at my day job, mm-hmm. and you just said, I have a story for the podcast, and I have been dying to know what that story is ever okay. since. Um, so I'm going to segue from like one thing into another, so if you want to get your week out, or, or just your uh, your life, how, how's life been, Chris? 
I don't really have much to report. Uh, okay. My store has apparently grinched away Christmas from a sizable portion of Evanston because we ran out of Christmas trees here a full fortnight before the uh, the blessed day itself. But, you know. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> not great. But, like, also who buys their Christmas tree a month in advance? Yeah. Okay, good. I was, I was afraid that was just me. <laughs> no, like... Like that tree gonna die. That tree already dead. That tree gonna rot. By the time you get to Christmas, like there's not gonna be a tree. I had a woman come in and demand a refund because her tree had been shedding pine needles, and I all like it was all I could do not to say. That's, that's your what fault, they Martha. Do. Like, trees, trees do that. Oh my goodness! You have made it forever fall for this tree. Like if you bought a christmas tree at the start of christmas that's your fault yeah also you bought a christmas tree at the start of december from a grocery store which means it had been cut probably a good days before you even got it anyway that's like oh my goodness that has been a lot of the complaints of this past week for me so i don't need to live vicariously through that anymore uh tell me about your story okay so it's not like a huge story it's more like a moment in time that happened i think i told you but for the listeners at home, I, I, I'm i currently doing a temporary holiday job at a local farmer's market. So basically, I, I'm like, I'm packaging these different, like, gift baskets that they are selling. And so, you know, I come into work today, and, you know, I walk in, and I'm, I'm talking to my manager, or my mm-hmm. supervisor. I, I don't know what his actual position is, but the he's, boss. he's the person who's calling the shots for me. Um, and so he's basically like... Yeah, so I'm not really feeling too hot today, so, you know, uh, it should be a pretty lax day. Um, I'm not going to be giving too many orders. Like, it's just kind of, we're going to be taking it easy today. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. And I take a Chill. few steps. Do it. And the first thing I hear is, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm instantly like. I didn't like, know where this was going, but that's not <laughs> where I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, so I turn around, and this dude is, like, vomiting into a trash can for at least a solid minute. It was all, my my hopes and my prayers were your, was that the, he was, you were going to say, you turned around, and he was just yucking it into a gift basket. <laughs> and then so, you just put a little bow on it, and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, no. Yeah, he is, like, it was bad, dude. Like, he... Oh, man. Um, like, and this was the second I got there. I literally <laughs> took my jacket off, walked maybe four or five steps, and then I just hear my supervisor vomiting into a trash can. Oh, and, no. And so, like, you know, my first thoughts are like, oh, my God, does he have the flu? Shit, I still haven't gotten my flu shot. Oh, this is terrible. I'm going to get the flu. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out about this. But, like, you know, later he elaborates, like, I'm sorry, something didn't agree with me. And so, unfortunately, my first thought, I didn't say this out loud, but my first thought was, yeah, man, that Sonic movie poster is pretty rough. <laughs> and I'm so glad you found a way to segue because my friends oh, I've been thinking about this all day. the internet, my friends in Cyberland, if you have not seen the poster for the new Sonic the Hedgehog live action film, oh, I have it open on my computer because I've just been staring in awe at this lad. Um... <laughs> So we talked about this movie a few episodes ago, just sort of in passing as yes. a thing that exists. I think that was episode two, actually. And, like, I knew from the word go that this was going to be a mess. Yeah. Like, there wasn't a whole lot to be confident about. 
I was not ready. So the poster, like, honestly, do yourself a favor and use whatever electronic device is most handy and just Google, like, Sonic movie poster. Okay, before you look up the Sonic poster, either conjure in your mind an image of everyone's favorite blue hedgehog, or your your friend and mine, Sonic. Uh, mm. If you've never played a Sonic the Hedgehog game, if you're only passingly familiar with the character, like, Google it. Like, just get, you know picture him he's blue he's got a big cocky grin he's got kind of like mickey mouse eyes or something like that yeah very generously you would consider him a hedgehog like his head is roughly twice the side of his size of his whole torso he's got kind of like he has the spirit of a hedgehog yeah but he's got like you know kind of rubber hose animation-esque arms and legs where they're very thin and not particularly like formed uh big honking hands big honking feet like classic you know animation clear silhouette not meant to be realistic this poster my friends oh boy i i actually need to look it up again because like like, i I blocked a lot of it out item one so the poster is all lit from behind oh yeah that's bad figure yeah that's not good (laughs) you really can't make out much in the way of detailing because it's all very lit from behind very dark uh so all you're really getting is like a silhouette (laughs) and kind of crouching um, oh, no, item baby, one, there's a lot of it? fur. There's a lot of fur. Uh, hedgehogs, not particularly furry. They're spiny, not particularly furry, and especially not furry on their limbs, which, let me tell you, this good boy is. Oh, man. Uh, there's also something very off where, like, he's still got the giant, doofy, cartoony hedgehog head, but then his body just looks like they were like, hey, office intern, put on this one-piece, uh, like, Under Armour tracksuit, roll around in some honey, and then go live with some long-haired Siamese cats for a while. <laughs> and, like, get that fur action all over your otherwise weirdly toned and anatom- anatomically correct human body. Oh my god, it's terrible. Do you see his, like, actual sneakers? Oh, yeah, his big, doofy clown shoes that are, like, oh the size God. of his whole torso. Like, this is a mess. And <laughs> this is the first thing I noticed. If you look at this image, uh, on his, what I will generously call a face, yeah, uh, camera right, so the right side of the image as you're looking at it, there's a little, like, protrusion that is catching yep. the light. Yep. Which I can only assume is his, his eye, but it is, it is clearly, like, coming out from the He's silhouette got, like, of his eyes. face. So he must have, He's like... He's got, like, actual hedgehog eyes. Yes, but, like, more. <laughs> like, if this silhouette is to be believed, his eye extends a full, like, inch out of his head <laughs> in profile. Uh, yeah, yeah, this that is, is the implication. wild, my guys. I mean, like... Also, I think my favorite part about the whole poster is the tagline at the top that says, from the producer of The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who do we get to adapt our video game franchise? I know, he make thing go vroom. You know what? I wouldn't mind that for an F-Zero movie. But F-Zero's dead. I wouldn't either. Like, but also then the image they chose is they just like... They were like, all right, guys, all right, all right, writer's room at Paramount Pictures, major movie studio. <laughs> How are we going to adapt this very cartoony video game character into our ostensibly live-action film? And some guy in the corner raised their hands, and they were like, yes, Jeremy? And Jeremy said, uh, my, my son has a friend on the track team, and we could have him roll around in syrup and hair. 
And everyone at Paramount Pictures said yes. And now we have this image to haunt my They nightmares. applauded, even. They applauded. They said <laughs> yes. Like, that's the other thing. You know the best thing about this, it- though? Sega hmm. had misgivings about this design. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Like, Famously like, conservative like, and defensive of their IP, Sega. Yeah, they were, they were kind of like, I don't know about this. <laughs> Sega, ten years ago, we had Sonic kiss a human girl. Like, Ooh, Sega doesn't have a surname. Years. But... That was ten years. That was ten that was full Christian years. years ago. That was twelve years ago. That was twelve. I'm. I need to go lie down. And put some ice packs on. <laughs> no, my we back. gotta finish um, the episode. <laughs> we just getting started, um, Chris. I I need to leave this horrifying image. I could talk about this for the full runtime of our show. Oh, you're right. Um, you're right. But we're talking about silent protagonists, and Sonic is actually a really good kind of thing to look at, uh, as far as what games can do with silent protagonists, because in his first three games. He was silent. He did not speak. He never had any dialogue written or verbal. But he's a really cool thing to look at because, you know, you think about that original design, how cartoony it was. Sonic has one of the most expressive sprites, especially considering how early on he came onto the scene. Literally, the first thing you see when you turn on the game is Sonic poking his head out, wagging his finger at you, and winking with a smirk. Yup. And then you get into the game, and he's got all these great, like, his idle animation. He, like, puts his hands on his hips and looks at the camera and taps his toe. Like, are you really making me wait he's for like, you? are we gonna go? Or are we just yeah. gonna... He's a great example of a character where you learn a ton about him entirely through the way that he is, like, physically embodying the space. And that's really cool, and that's something that, like... As actors, we have to think about a lot because, you know, even if you're the main character in a show or movie or play or whatever, statistically, you're probably not actually speaking more than, like, at absolute most about 50% of the time. And so you've got to be in a space, on camera, in shot, on stage, you know, being and being believable and, like, still staying, you know, a part of this world that you're trying to create while not really having anything necessarily to do and let me tell you, that's not It's not easy. easy. Especially... Uh, if you watch, like, uh, Black Dynamite, like, there will be... <laughs> Black Dynamite is, like, intentionally, like... It is a meta movie where, like, the actors are pretending to be actors, pretending to be characters in this movie. Um, Great fucking And, like, film. they will constantly do takes to camera and be like, I, what do I do right now? I... What? <laughs> <laughs> like, they'll read stage directions out loud. It's great. Yeah, let me tell you, I uh, I worked for a couple years here in Chicago as a teaching artist. Uh, I worked in, like, primarily with groups of kids that were anywhere from kindergarten to, like, fourth grade. Uh, and a lot of it was improv, but we also, I worked with a couple of camp programs where, like, the goal was, like, we're going to put on a play, and we're going to make it as professional as we can make it. Not, like, pushing the kids unreasonably, but, like, challenging the kids to stretch themselves and to, like, grow into, you know, professional performers, more or less. And it was incredible just watching, like, a kid who is, you know, attentive and very good and, like, has clearly been doing this kind of, you know, small-scale theater stuff for a while, and they get up there and they do their lines and they do their lines very well, and then it's another character's chance to talk and they're just, like, sitting there picking their nose and, like, staring at a butterfly on the ceiling. And, like, 
just drop any sense of being engaged and being a part of the world on a dime and then you know their next line comes up and they're like haha i'm ready like speaking of dropping real quick uh mm-hmm. chris I, I hate to interrupt your example right now but i'm on our drive and i see that there is just an untitled document that is just in bold <laughs> aerial 72 point <laughs> format vinegar vinegar Vinegar. Like, what is going on here? I'm Well, for one thing, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, I was at work, and I needed to label a new spray bottle as being full of vinegar because we we're going to use it to, like, wipe down and, like, decalcify the, uh, like the, the water dispenser in our seating area. Okay. Uh, but for some reason, Microsoft Word would not print. Yeah. And so I was like, fuck it, I'll do it in Google Drive. And apparently I was logged into the backstage gaming email address and I didn't think about the consequences of my actions. Okay, I was just wondering. (laughs) But yeah, Sonic and a lot of those old, you know, 2D sprite-based silent protagonists, people like Mario in various games, all that you had to build a character off of was their physicality. Like, maybe a little bit of a blurb in the, like, instruction manual for those old NES games. But, like, Sonic was all sass because that was how they animated him. And then eventually when they gave him a voice, when he started to speak in the 3D games, maybe in the cartoons before that, I don't remember how the timeline works out. Yeah. Um, either way, I mean, uh, the cartoons were in the early '90s, and then there were like yeah. three of them, and then yeah. we got to the Dreamcast games. But like, I guarantee you, when they were writing those scripts for when they finally gave Sonic a voice, they were looking back at those original sprites and thinking, like, okay, how do we write this character? How, how do we make? How do we this... capture this raditude and put <laughs> it into word? How do we let people know? That this cat does what Nintendo don't. And then, unfortunately, by doing that, they dated the character extremely hard, but oh, whatever, it's, it's, it's fine. It, it ain't good. Anyway. Um, I, I still yeah, love so Sonic, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, not Harry Meatman Sonic, but, you know, oh boy. Maybe that's just um, Ben Schwartz in a tracksuit. <laughs> that he rolled around in, like, a, a cat pit. In honey and um, yeah, cat hair, yeah. But, yeah, so that's kind of where we're coming at. We're going to look at some games that we like with Silent Protagonist and talk about how those characters are given character and what they do narratively with this handicap of a silent protagonist. So Dylan, you had some that you wanted to get to right off the bat. Why don't you jump in? Well, you and I both love the Mario RPGs. uh, It's true. I love those games so much. So I've been playing through uh, Super Mario RPG with a friend whenever I'm back home, and I really should get started on that again. But like one of my favorite things about... Mario in Super Mario RPG specifically is that when he's telling a story, he will, you know, he will run back and forth frantically and like, you know, maybe there's an animation of him raising his arms, but then sometimes he turns into the subject he's talking about like he's Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> Wait, that's rad. Yeah, it's great. It's like I haven't played Super Mario RPG in years. It's uh it's really good. Um you you should definitely check it out. But it's it's this really nice little touch that like even though Mario never speaks you know, like, he has a voice now, but, like, it's only to go, like, woohoo, or, you know, like, something of the, like... Mamma mia! Uh, yeah, like, little one-off, I'm saying something to fill in the fact that I have no real personality. 
I have no mouth and I, I must, must... Wahoo! <laughs> that that was like a really cool little way they took that character and, and gave him something more. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. I know that a lot of the like a lot of times when you run into a silent protagonist, it you know, it's not that they didn't want it's not just that they couldn't give it a voice because like, you know, text boxes have existed for as long as there have been games. There's always been ways to make characters talk somehow. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times, especially with protagonists, there's this idea, and you see this a lot in RPGs, and I'm hoping that this is sort of lobbing the ball to you because I know what one of the things you wanted to talk about is. Um, <laughs> a lot of the times that is to enhance this feeling of like you, the player, being in the game. Uh, the idea being sort of if the character talks and they're saying something that is not how you would have been playing the character, especially in games with lots of like choice points and decision moments. Uh, that's taking away from sort of that fantasy and that that promise that the game is making that, like, this is your version of the character. Um, mm. Not always what they're doing, but that is sort of another another take on it and one of those sort of choices that's being made to deliver on a particular kind of story. Yeah. So before I get to uh, the main series that I want to talk about, um, I want to brush on Zelda real quick, just because we mm-hmm. were just talking mm-hmm. about Mario. And Link also has a lot of physicality to him, uh, particularly once we jump to 3D. Oh, it's so good. So, Chris, uh, actually, before I go into this, uh, Zelda on the Nintendo 64, like both Majora's Mask and Zelda Ocarina of Time, what is your read on the Link in those games? If I had to pick, like, a single adjective for it, I would say determined. Like, all all of the art for... N64 Link, you know, he's got all of these very angular features. A lot of that art is very, like, him leaning in, him going hard. Um, And even, like, his animations tend very much towards, like, he's got a lot of forward momentum going in basically everything he does. And I think that that... Okay. Yeah, that's that's always been kind of my read. Hmm. I think determined is a good thing to describe him. I, I think if I could throw in another word... Mm-hmm. Uh, to describe him, I would go with awkward. This uh, is also fair. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing we see Link doing is he is suffering through a nightmare. So he's just kind of in his bed, <laughs> trembling. <laughs> yep. And, you know, when Navi, the, the game's mentor... Navigator. No, I mean, yeah, but I'm trying to think of, like, <laughs> her relation to Link. The closest thing he really has to a guardian... Um, she's She's his Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if he's Peter Pan, that. Navi is his Tinkerbell. Navi was also Nintendo being like, hey gamers, here's how you operate a camera in 3D space because you've never had to do this before. <laughs> but What if that's... I incorporated that into his character? Yeah, it's it, like, they, they used it character-wise, which is a super cool decision they made. You know, you have Link. He, he's kind of like this geeky kid, um, at least in my, in my view, because, you know, the first thing we see him do is he's like, he is having a nightmare. Navi comes to wake him up and he refuses to leave the bed. Um, there are other scenes later in the game where like, there's a princess who's flirting with him and he just does not know how to respond to that. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, so th- those are like the physical things. And then like another thing I like to look at with silent protagonists is how does the world around him react to his presence? Yep. 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 And the... You know, when you explore the first area, Link's hometown, Link's home village, uh, a lot of, you know, it's established that one of the NPCs bullies him. A lot of the NPCs are indifferent to him. And, you know, he he finally has this fairy guardian, his Tinkerbell. Everybody in his village is supposed to have one, but he was born without one. But now that he has one, people are a lot more willing to talk to him. In fact, um, 
I was thinking about this earlier today, and I kind of came to a discovery, like, in the Nintendo 64 Zelda games, uh, Navi and Tattle, that's not important, uh, the fairy companion Link has enables him to focus on things and to talk to people from a distance. And I always wondered, like, what if that is Navi giving Link the confidence to talk to people? Or, like, you know, they, like as a way of, like, kind of a coach? A, a social coach, if that makes sense. Yeah, I also i want to I want to jump in really quick, uh, just for a quick interjection, because this gets to something that I've always found very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Figuring out sort of character when you're playing a role is very much a process, and it's very much something that like it's equal parts your preparation and you know working with the other people involved. Um, but one of the things that I've always found very helpful, I don't remember where I learned this from, but I mm-hmm. love it. Every time I'm prepping for a new role, I will read the script four times. I read it once just to get the story so that I have that in my head. And then I read it three times just writing down things about my character that I notice. And I read it once just looking for things that the character says about themselves. Once looking for things that other people say about the character when they're around. And once looking for things that other characters say about that character when they're not around. Because that helps give you, like, a very solid idea of, like, at the very least, what opinions about this person are. And that's kind of what you get with a silent protagonist a lot. You see how people are interacting with them without getting anything from them. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. You always find a way to say what I'm getting at and making it more direct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's what I'm here for. Hey, there you are. Heavens there, to Murgatroyd. <laughs> the obligatory Snagglepuss cameo of yeah, the episode. Yeah, always. I can't believe this is a running gag now. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> I, I guess it's 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 always funny to me when people are like, all links are the same, when like, you know, in my mind, because of like all these different like little clues and subtextual things, or in like how Nintendo has written the world around Link, I always am able to get, like, some sort of impression of Link. So to contrast the Link from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask to other Links, like in Twilight Princess, the Link in that one, he's the oldest kid in the village. All of the kids look to him as, like, the leader. And not only that, but all the adults in this village, like, he is the most helpful person in the entire village. Like, he is able to do all of the errands. He's the person everyone goes to for their problems he's the golden boy he is the golden boy which is the complete opposite of the link in ocarina of time Mm -hmm. um to take that a step further you got the link in skyward sword who all the adults love him like everyone in like power loves him his peers fucking hate him (laughs) yep (laughs) like the first thing that happens in that game is uh a bunch of a kid a bunch of teenagers link's age pull a prank on him and, like, they, they, they hide his... In, in Skyward Sword, they ride birds as their steeds. Uh, so they, they lock his bird up and try to get him to fail this uh, exam. I don't want to go too much into detail, but I, so I hope you get the basic... So they can smooch on Zelda. Yeah, exactly. They're, like, they're trying to they're trying to punk Link. And you know what? I agree with them. That Link is a punk. <laughs> yeah, he, he ain't my favorite. Everything gets handed to him in that game, and I'm done ranting. Uh, yep. Anywho... And then you've also got like the I'm link. I'm really passionate in... about Link, you guys. It's fair. I am too. Then you get the link in like Wind Waker, who is that is a game where he's going from Hunter Hunter. Wait, he's what? he's like oh, yeah. very much a shonen <laughs> protagonist. Very much a shonen protagonist, but also like very driven by family. Like the inciting incident of that game is 
you have to save your sister. Yeah. And then there is a pretty major side questy thing that you can do later on in the game where you have to help your grandma. And, like, a lot of that game is bound up in, like, that Link is someone who cares first and foremost about, like, helping his family and helping his friends. And you get that yeah. through the actions that he takes and also the way people around him interact with him. You also get the sense that he's very naive because he's young, but also, like, all these pirates are just like, oh, look at this little kid. Yeah, like, they, they all look treat at, him super condescendingly. Uh, yeah. I think Until one of the, when his sister gets kidnapped, asses. when his sister gets kidnapped, he's so driven to run after the giant bird that, like, swooped in and picked her up that, like, he's not thinking about the fact that he's about to run off a cliff. And he does run off a cliff, and the pirates have to save his ass. Yeah. Like, like you get... That's a great scene. That yeah. is a really great scene. It is that a tells very you so much about this character. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. We're talking over each other, and I knew this would happen because I love silent protagonists. <laughs> uh, I guess we went through Zelda a little faster than I expected. Um, it's okay. We we got we gave him the bit bat bop. We uh we hit the one two three. Zelda's a really cool series to look at. Like if this is something that you find interesting, um, let us know by telling us on Twitter or messaging us via our website. And yeah, um, we can maybe do more episodes about stuff like this. Yeah, uh, I would I would love to do that. Another use of silent protagonists. Sometimes it is useful when you want to like, you know, give the player the sense of like greater immersion in the game. Sometimes it's useful just because like that's the way that you want to tell your story. Um, there's a game that I am a huge fan of uh, called Dishonored. It's a few years old now. Yes, Dishonored is a stealth game, primarily. Uh, It is a sneaky, jumpy, climby, stabby-if-you-want-to game. Uh, It is made by a bunch of people who made a bunch of other games that I like. I was immediately going to be really into Dishonored because it's a stealth game, which is one of my favorite genres, and it's made by a combination of people who worked on the Half-Life games, which are among my favorite games, and Thief the Dark Project, which is maybe my favorite game. And so I was, you know, I I was going to be into this. Uh, but one of the things that is so cool about Dishonored, it's a story of, well, it's kind of there in the title. You are a character who is dishonored. Your job is to be this bodyguard to an empress, and then she dies, and you're framed for it, which, you know, don't look too good on the curriculum vitae. Um, <laughs> and so you have to track down and, like, stop this coup against your city. Uh, but one of the things they did that's so cool is... You can play the entire game without killing anyone, or you can make it a bloodbath. And in addition to, like, there's RPG elements where, like, you can upgrade different powers that will make you better at sneaking or better at fighting or whatever. But there's also, like, most of the missions revolve around, like, you have to get into a place where you should not be and eliminate somebody. And you can do that through killing them, or you can do it through, like, taking them out of the picture. I want to make it clear, that is not the good option. Uh, one very notable example is you can either kill this pair of, like, lord brothers who are part of the conspiracy, or you can do a favor for a crime boss who will have them abducted, uh, burned beyond recognition, have their tongues cut out, and sell them into slavery. So, like, sometimes killing... Yeah, sometimes killing is not the worst option. <laughs> but the main character of this game, Corvo Atano, is a silent protagonist, which in a game like this feels like a really cool and very active choice on the part of the developers because not only is it like letting you roleplay more by letting you decide the kind of character that Corvo's going to be for yourself, 
that's also what the entire game is about. You are deciding whether your version of Corvo on this playthrough is trying to do things and make things right for as many people as possible while hurting as few people as possible, or if your very ends justify the means and you're willing to cut a swath through the city to do what you need to do. Down to the point where, and like, you know, games like this are hit or miss, the whole like ambi- like yeah. binary moral choice thing. I was, I, I have really does it. I'm going to throw out, but yeah. continue. Uh, I think Dishonored does it better than most because it never tries to sugarcoat it and make it out that like what you're doing is to these people is good, which I think is, you know, more nuanced than most games with this kind of decision making give it. But you do get this very interesting, like, the world will change in lots of very subtle ways that I really like, where, like, if you're Corvo McStabby, uh, the little girl, daughter of the Empress, who you are trying to protect through all of this, like, as she's in, you know, the safe house where you're keeping her, she's, like, doodling pictures and stuff, and she'll draw a picture of you in your scary mask. If you're doing Corvo McHugs, and you're, like, knocking all the guards out and leaving flowers for the hungry people, she draws a picture of you without your mask, and it says Daddy. And, like... One, teaching you something more about this character that you're playing in the world, but also, like, that's a cool way of, again, it's you're learning about the character that you are being through the actions of other people towards them. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my take on Dishonored. I just think it's really cool. I like, I like those kinds of games where the fact that you are silent plays into the fact that you are getting to direct the narrative and direct the kind of story you want to tell in a more active way, you know, even as constrained as those always actually are. And I think that it's easier and also more elegant to do that through a silent protagonist than by giving dialogue options, you know? I, I was about to say, um, I, I was going to contrast this with a game like uh, the first Red Dead Redemption, mm-hmm. mainly because I don't know too much about the second Red Dead Redemption, still haven't played it, uh, probably will when the price drops, maybe. Yeah, I'd like to. It looks uh, cool. I love the first Red Dead. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like, I remember someone, there was some reviewer who was like, I really like John Marsden. I think that was his name. I believe that was his name. I think, yeah, that's uh, his name. I, lo- I like John Marsden as a character. However, when I play the renegade John Marsden, nothing feels like it really changes, and John Marsden still feels like a decent person in his all of his cutscenes. And so, like, even, yeah. like, as your notoriety goes up and, like, the in-game world reacts to you like you're a huge threat... Nothing about that actually changes the story. Yeah. Sometimes that silent protagonist angle is just a more elegant solution because it's fewer things to have to change. Yeah. Um, you, you do have, like, your mass effects where, like, you, the, dial- the dialogue will change and, you know, Commander Shepard might slightly change their voice. Um, or, you know, there's also Fallout where your dialogue options do change, I believe, and if they don't change... At the very least, uh, you know, the blatantly evil, if you're going the blatantly evil route, all of your dialogue options will be blatantly evil. But even then, like, I I don't know, as much as I like the Mass Effect series, I think that there's... Oh no, I still still think there's uh, elegance to having it just be Corvo, the silent protagonist. Yeah, in hammering out, even if you're giving, like, good and plausible and well-voice-acted lines for each of the options... Just leaving it open-ended, you know, item one saves you on work and saves you on voice acting budget as much as it hurts me, a voice actor, to say those words. But uh, it also just, like, I think that it's okay to leave some things up to the audience. I think that audiences will help fill in blanks better sometimes than the creatives can. 
But you had another series that you wanted to talk about and that I'm excited to hear you talk about because you know way more about it than I do, even though I, like, I think these games are cool. Yes, let's talk about Dragon Quest. No, okay. Um, I did want to talk about, like, one Dragon Quest game, but we'll talk about Persona first because that's the big thing. Um, So, first of all, this entire episode was inspired by the amount of hype uh, generated from Joker, the main character of Persona 5, being announced in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And so, you know, I it, I just kind of got to thinking, like, this is a character that is beloved, despite the fact that he doesn't really have any dialogue. He has dialogue options, and there's an adaptation of Persona 5 in which Joker is his own character with his own agency that I haven't seen. But, you know, obviously, the first impression is the strongest. And so, you know, when people got really excited about this character's appearance in Smash, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I guess let's start with, like, what Persona is for people who haven't played it. Um, yes, probably good. So, Persona is a spinoff of a larger series that's not important. Um, what is important is that starting with Persona 3, um, the Persona games have been all about you are a... I, we talked a little bit about this yeah, in the we, first we, episode. We but... introduced this concept in the episode where we talked about... Uh... I thought Something. it was the first episode. I forget things it, as soon as important. we're done saying them. We, we talked we about talk this a little a, bit we, before, but yeah. a, a quick rundown one more time in case this is your yeah. first time listening to us. Um, yeah, so uh, the Persona games are you play as a high school student who, by day, you are just an ordinary high school student, but by night you are secretly blank because it changes from game to game. Uh, in the first game, you are part of an elite organization that is exploring this weird kind of extra-dimensional tower that uh, spawns at midnight uh, at your school. Uh, in the fourth game, you are a bunch of investigators who have to save people who have been kidnapped. And in the third game, or in the fifth game, rather, you are a, for all intents and purposes, you're kind of a crack team of superhero-ish rogues. You you steal treasures and use it to reform people who have done wrong. You're Psychic Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) And I lost my train of thought just now. George Clooney has that effect on me, too. Ah, yeah. He's a dreamboat, really. (laughs) That silver fox. (laughs) Um... So anyway, uh, in you you play a mild mannered student in all of these games, and you know some of them are slightly di- like they all have like slight variations on their characters. So I I'll start with the third game and then just kind of make my way over to five. Yeah. And in Persona Three, you you really kind of play as like Persona Three is like very story heavy, um, and so your character has like a very hard established backstory. Um, there was an incident and uh, your parents die as a result of this incident so you've just kind of been going from like foster home to institution like you've just kind of like gone from one place to the other and so now you end up at a boarding school and so what's interesting about the main character of Persona 3 is that like you know a lot of people call him emo he has like this very somber demeanor about him Uh, he's also got like the peaked uh mid-2000s like emo toby Maguire spider-man haircut going on <laughs> uh but like it's it's much less that he's emo and more that like 
you you get a feeling that he's on edge quite a bit um mm-hmm. at, especially near the beginning of the game uh when the party is considering having you join their forces they're they're kind of talking around the issue or like you know like should we really be like getting him in on this like we, we he might not want to do this um a lot of the dialogue he has can be seen as like flippant or non-committal and what's cool about that is that because a huge part of the persona games are the fact that you kind of have to social like you are socializing with various npcs who will give you benefits that will enable you to become stronger in this game it frames it as such that you are doing this despite yourself like the only <laughs> thing you really want to do is keep to yourself but because you are fighting with these people to save the world and because this weird person in this extra dimensional room told you so you're like what the hell i'll go around town find random strangers and just try to be a friend to them and And in doing so it engenders a character arc yeah exactly like you are a silent protagonist with a character arc and that is really cool you know the next game persona 4 is it has less of a story it's more like a, a slice of life it's it's the Seinfeld of JRPGs. It's a game about nothing. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> uh, Persona Four likes to revel in its mundanity. So there's ostensibly a murder mystery going on, but like the game doesn't really concern itself with that. Most of the game is you just kind of hanging out with your friends, and then something bad happens, and you do something to fix it, and you go back to hanging out with your friends. And this so, is fascinating to me because I, I have not played Persona 4, mm-hmm. but I am aware that Persona 4 is ar- maybe one of the, like, most beloved JRPGs of all time. Yeah. Like, between Persona 4 and Persona 5, there are, like, probably a good half dozen games based in the world established by Persona 4 so, and featuring the cast of characters from Persona 4. <laughs> so, here's the thing. Um... The first thing is, like, Persona 4 took, like, a lot of the things Persona 3 established and smoothed out the wrinkles and just kind of mm-hmm. made it a more streamlined experience in general. Uh, but on top of that, I think the reason why the story, the story and these characters have endured so much and why they have been so popular up until the release of Persona 5, uh, nearly a decade later, uh, is because, you know, it is very mundane, like... Yeah. You are living out the fantasy of a high school student hanging out with, like, friends and tutoring younger students and just being, like, a pillar of the community. <laughs> uh, and So you're crunk. You're crunk, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Sorry. Now I like, want an all-crunk JRPG. Legit, you can make lunch and share it with a friend the next day. Like you, you, you are a cook. You are a caretaker. You're Kronk. I love it. Um, I love it so much. Oh my god, you have made this game even more magical to me somehow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so because of that, uh, your character, like he is the most mild mannered. Um, later games kind of later games and adaptations kind of make him out to be like this charismatic god of a man like the the main the cover of one of the fighting games based on persona 4 has you on the cover and you're shirtless and you're like ripped and jacked and you're <laughs> in the original game you're like a pretty spindly guy all that dough to 
Bring lunch for my friends. <laughs> but like you know, he's known in the fandom as this swag I master. I roll that sushi tight. Uh, oh my god. I'm sorry. That, but yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just apologizing for me. Okay, good. <laughs> you should apologize. <laughs> Savage. I'm trying to talk All right, everybody, thanks here. for joining us for the last episode of Backstage Gaming. <laughs> I have to go dig my own grave. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, But yeah, no, so it, it, uh, the main character, Persona 4, you know, he's like not really like, he's like a pretty spindly guy, but like he has kind of earned this reputation because like, you know, he, he is just, his character is portrayed as someone who is just generally pleasant. He is the sort of person, I know that's not an acting thing we should do, but I'm not acting right now. <laughs> uh, he is the sort of person who, he will just talk to you if you look like you're having a bad day. And because he wants to, not because some weird person in extra dimensional space told you to. Yeah. And this is also kind of reinforced by the fact that unlike the main character of Persona 3 who's in a boarding school... You are living at home with your cousin and your uncle, and they are amazing. Like, everything around you in Persona 4 is pleasant as hell. I also want to point, take a moment to just point out, because this kind of... To to bring in some theater terms that we've used before and just keep, you know, pounding those into your head. Um, oh, kinky. The I know. Uh, this These are two characters, Persona, Persona 3 and Persona 4, who, for large portions of the game, are taking the same actions going out and talking to people and, you know, socializing. But because of the given circumstances that are placed upon them, those things that happen beforehand that inform what's going on, you know, Persona 3's main character, main characters, I'm trying to make sure I have all my possessives. Persona 3's main characters, given circumstances, are a series of unfortunate events. Whereas Persona 4's main characters, given circumstances, are what Dylan was just saying. He lives in a very pleasant life with very pleasant people and is just sort of a happy dude. Yeah, he he really doesn't have any backstory. All you know about him before the start of the game is he used to live in the city, and now he's living in the country with his uncle and his cousin. And you don't even know why he's not living with his parents or anything. Like, you could... He's like... He's a very easy self-insert, while Mm -hmm. still kind of feeling like his own person again he's more of a fantasy that you are living out than an established character so everyone has like a general idea of the fantasy that you are living through him but like he might not exactly have his own character until people started writing for him um and so i guess we'll go to persona 5 now where unlike persona 4 where everything is pleasant you start this game out getting arrested <laughs> and <laughs> yep yeah uh yep, yep, yep you you piss off a politician a very powerful politician and you get arrested and essentially like you are on probation i think something like that or i don't i don't remember what the exact punishment is but like for whatever reason you have to sign up in this school there's a person who knows your parents who like decides to take care of you but like he's also like really strict at first and thinks you're up to no good um right so and you know when when you go to school everyone's spreading rumors about you they all think you're going to be like this huge delinquent and like the worst and so already like the the deck is stacked against you and in unlike the other two games where you are socializing with all these different people in the real world because you are told to um persona 5 treats it more like 
so again, you are a phantom thief. You um, you're striking back out at society, and you are stealing. You things steal from men's these... souls and make them your slaves. Make them your slaves, exactly. Uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you are stealing from people in power to reform them so that society can improve because you have been wronged by society, and so that is reflected in for these operations that you are planning. You need stuff like weapons and uh. You need to be able to have diplomacy, and, you know, maybe you need some drugs. Uh, drugs specifically used to heal you like a potion in a fantasy RPG would. You know, you, you are finding all these contexts. You are finding a weapons dealer. You are finding a politician who can help you with your diplomacy, and you are finding a doctor who can hook you up with them sweet, sweet drugs. And they are all business partners, that you yeah. eventually learn very... more about and become attached to. Yeah. Because I said I said you're you know, I made the joke about Psychic Oceans Eleven, but like it's honestly true. Like you it is a group of people that you get together for the purposes of like pulling off these heists, pulling off these missions that you then grow to care more about as the story goes on. Exactly. I also I was like scrolling down my Facebook just to see if anything had popped up and I scrolled past an ad for Atlas USA's new Persona dancing game. So somehow <laughs> somehow targeted marketing is getting to the point where it just like hears me saying words into my microphone. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh so that's frightening. I work for the Amazon Corporation. Kill me now. Oh uh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. End it, Papa Bezos. Okay. End yeah. me through um, your internet box. I, I think the last thing is uh in addition to the way the game kind of informs your character your party members also kind of react to you. So, you know, Persona 3, you're kind of angsty, more agitated. That's a better term for that yeah. main character. Yeah, less, less loaded term. Yeah. Um, in Persona 4, you're just, you know, you are a self-wish-fulfillment fantasy, generally nice dude. Um, the characters, the way they react to you in Persona 5, like, you are the biggest show-off, you are a, a well of charisma, and you know it. It's um, very fun. One of the first cutscenes is you just like you're running from the cops and you jump through a window and you just strike a pose and you hear your you hear the hacker go, You're such a show off. <laughs> and just like <laughs> little so things good. like that. Um all of his dialogue options are like very they are flippant, but not in the same like I don't want to talk to you way that the Persona three uh characters' responses are flippant. They're more like uh kind of like beating your own chest kind of like it, it's to kind of rile everyone up you're you're your own hype man i would say yeah it's very good <laughs> yeah so you know joker as his uh that's his code name he is a very he's just a huge departure from like that those characters that came before him um i guess one more thing i will say about the persona 3 and 4 characters before i move on is that there is a very telling line of dialogue in both of those games that really hammer home the idea that, like, these silent protagonists have their own personalities. Mm -hmm. So there is a channel of, on TV that you can look at, and it's basically, like, you know, te not telemarketing, um, paid programming for different sure. products and stuff. And it has a announcer who kind of, you know, gives the description for these products that you can buy. And so when you turn on the TV in Persona 4, 
the flavor text is like a very cheery, catchy song plays on the TV. Um, and you know, it's like, I, when, when I played this game back when I was what, 14, 15, I was like, yeah, no, I love this song. This is great. But, uh, when you play, when you do this, when you call the same channel in persona three, I learned, uh, it's something more along the lines of like a repetitive grading song is playing <laughs> and it's just, it's this really tiny thing that like you can almost overlook when you're playing these games that really kind of hammer home the disc, the, the fact that like there is more ways to convey character than, you know, spoken word. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention real quick a little bit about Dragon Quest so every protagonist in Dragon Quest is a silent protagonist. And uh, the Dragon Quest games for anyone who hasn't played them are the purest distilled the, ep- yeah. essence of the JRPG. They, they are They are the original Japanese RPG. Uh, I heard someone once refer to them as the French vanilla JRPG. Where That was me. It it was you. I couldn't remember if it was you or not. Okay. No, it was definitely me. Yeah. Explain my So the French vanilla thing or the uh, yeah. character? Okay, it's the French vanilla of JRPGs in the way that, like, there is, you know, a lot of people think vanilla ice cream is kind of plain and boring. But, like, you know, if you have really good vanilla ice cream, like that gourmet shit, um, you know, you start to... Good, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you, you really gain an appreciation for it, and you know what good vanilla ice cream is when you taste it. Dragon Quest is good vanilla ice cream. Um, it is a very plain JRPG. It doesn't have any bells or whistles that other later series would like introduce. But it does the core game so well that it doesn't really matter. Like Dragon Quest's philosophy is like, if it's not broke, don't fix. Like, don't fix it. Like, maybe you can add a little thing here and like- there, but like refine we don't more need to than reinvent outright the change yeah yeah they're very fun i've been playing dragon quest x uh 11 11 thank you yeah x is an mmo <laughs> what what game have i been playing <laughs> yeah no i've been playing a little bit of that recently and it's like it's a very fun like it's it's the equivalent of like picking up a it, even though i've never played the game before it feels like the equivalent of like picking up an old favorite book yeah tim rogers and just reading of a few Kotaku.com pages has described dragon quest as fairy tales you can play yeah. So like they they are like bedtime stories almost, uh. But anyway, so Dragon Quest, I I wanted to look at two in particular. Um, so there's Dragon Quest three and Dragon Quest five. Dragon Quest three, the story of Dragon Quest three is that, your it's as basic as you can get. Uh, your father Ortega, is commissioned by the king to slay the evil, uh, dragon lord or something like that. It's been a while. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he sets out to do it, and, you know, he doesn't return. And you are a baby at this time. So when you come of age, you're, the, the king comes to your home and says, you are the son of the legendary hero Ortega. We don't know who else to turn to. Will you follow in his footsteps? And so Dragon Quest Three isn't a very plot-heavy game. It's more about the places you visit and the things you do than any outside external forces. But you, as you travel the world, you you keep finding like traces of your father, like and things that he has done. And there's almost this narrative of trying to step out of his footsteps. That's going to segue into Dragon Quest Five, where you you play 
again, once again, you play the son of a famous warrior. Um, in this case, Pankratz. I think that's his name. Uh, and the cool thing about Dragon Quest V is that you start as a kid, and you are traveling with your father as he journeys. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, it, it's oh, it's really cool. Dragon Quest does a lot. Of, uh, Dragon Quest V specifically does a lot of real cool things with its plot. But so you know, the first dungeon is you. Your dad goes into a cave, and you follow him into the cave. But the boss is only on like the second sub like basement floor, whereas like when you return to that dungeon as an adult, it's like a six, seven, eight floor dungeon. And you know the second the second dungeon is the one I really want to talk about. You uh, you go and you are there are kids picking on this poor cat, and you want them to leave him alone, and you go into a dungeon like you uh they they dare you to go into a haunted house and so you go into the haunted house and that is the second dungeon and you're fighting ghosts and shit and it's really cool and so i think what i wanted to get at with this is that one of the cool things about dragon quest 5 is that you are a silent protagonist but you still feel like you are a kid you are a kid doing things a kid would do and I realized that's not quite what this episode was getting at, but, like, I just thought it was really cool and I wanted to talk about it because I've been thinking about it all day. So you can feel free to ed- edit this out, Chris. No, I, I think that's rad. I think that's a really cool sort of button for the episode. Um, so yeah, I hope that this was fun for y'all to listen to. I hope it was a little bit more guided to be generous uh, than last week when we were kind of just like, hey, here's our thoughts about games. Um <laughs> But thank you once again for joining us. We hope you gave, we gave you something to think about, and we hope that maybe next time you're playing a game where your avatar don't talk too much, you'll be thinking about exactly what that means and why they might have made that choice. This has been Backstage Gaming. We are so glad that you've been listening. We're so glad that you have been enjoying us, and we would be oh so very grateful if you would share us and tell your friends about us and tell your family about us and tell your pastor about us and tell your rabbi about us and tell I don't, just anyone. I don't think this is a pastor and rabbi podcast. <laughs> hey, maybe you've got one of those cool youth pastors who swears and maybe smokes a cigarette. Um, <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> Chris? Um... <laughs> Anyway, we really, really appreciate you listening. We really appreciate you helping us to spread the word because that is what's going to help us to grow. And we are fueled by your attention because we're actors. Um, What are actors if not robots fueled by the attention of others? Recording this was my dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Please feel free to visit us at bsgpod.com. That's bsgpod.com. That's our website. It's got episodes where you can download them directly from the source when we update every monday it's also got bios for us it's got a contact page if you want to reach out and i just added a new section that i have labeled as texts uh right now as of recording at the very least it's just got sort of a glossary of the theater terms that we're introducing so you have a handy cheat sheet uh but i'm also going to be working on putting up some episode transcripts yeah i'm sorry about that i should i should get on that (laughs) you're fine i should too we we're both like have other jobs and can't spend eight hours a day transcribing but we'll get I mean, those i'm, uh, I'm it's not important. gonna lie a lot of my time has been spent playing smash <laughs> i can't fault you for that um okay but yeah we'll get on that as quick as possible because accessibility is important um and yeah dylan you want to hit us with those social media places that people can find our shit all right social media you can find us on facebook twitter our handle is at bsg underscore cast 
You can find us on YouTube. Um, and, you know, if you like what we do, you can use hashtag BSGpod to, you know, maybe get us a little little attention. You know, a little yeah, something. I also, I really want to start doing some kind of audience interaction section on this show. I don't know exactly mm. what that'll look like, but I think that would be fun. And uh, when we figure out what that will be, we'll definitely let y'all know. And we will probably use Twitter and hashtag BSGpod as sort of an avenue for getting us those... Uh, audience things that we'll be working with thank you as always to our friend bioquery for the use of our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality you can find him and the rest of his very cool weird electronic music at soundcloud.com slash bioquery that's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y if you like our key art that was done by our friend brendan french um, you should check out his squarespace at brendanfrench.squarespace.com that is b-r-e- N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. And once again, thank you, our beautiful, beautiful listeners, for giving us the food that is your ears. Our our fuel receptacles are I'm Mike Tyson. Uh, Thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. We love you. Don't run away, food. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.